Do you take a seat? Now, this morning's reading is coming in four parts. It's in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look um, across the whole book. But the first part we're going to read is from Genesis chapter 12, and it's verses 1 to 3. So you can find it on page 13 in the Red Bibles, but we do have Bibles in other languages and versions at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. So as we skip to the next bit, I'll give you the page number, and we'll do it together. So Genesis 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then continuing from chapter 26, starting at verse 1, and that's on page 27 in the Red Bibles. Twenty-six, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Jura. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring... All nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Jura. And then continuing on to chapter 28, which is on page 30, and reading verses 1 to 5, chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. And then final section is chapter 20, uh, sorry, 48, verses 1 to 4, on page 54. Chapter 48, verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied rallied his strength and sat up on, on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, 
God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, uh, Joe, very much indeed for reading those. Thanks uh, for kind of hopping around Genesis there. We are, um, as has been said, we're going to start something new um, this, uh, as we start this new term together. Um, whatever this new term holds for you, uh, if it is indeed a new term, if it's just a continuation of where you've been through the summer, um, uh, that's great too. And we're, we're going to be looking at this um, uh, part of Genesis and we're going to be focusing particularly um, on Genesis 25 to 35, which is the, the story of Jacob. Um, it's a sort of middle panel. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to, um, we're going to stand back. It's very much a, an introductory talk, if you like, to where we're going to be for the whole term. And we're going to look at Genesis um, uh, standing back in, it, in its big picture. Um, and I'll talk about some of the things that we'll come across um, as we go into the rest of this term. Um, and I've, we called it, I've called this God prom- God's promises unfold in the mess. God's promises unfold in the mess, in the messiness, in the complexity of life. Uh, as we'll see particularly with uh, Jacob as we go through this term, the complex, messy uh, situation, his family, life situation, and the way in which God's promises unfold and work their way out through his life as part of this broad canvas um, in Genesis uh, and the families that it tells us about. Um, there is a, a, a chap called Hans Rosling, if I've got his name right, um, who is um, a, a medical um, doctor and a professor um, of international health, um, who has written a book um, called Factfulness, um, uh, if you've come across him at all. Um, I guess the message and the mission of his career, now he... Um, he so relatively recently, about a year or so ago, I believe, died, and this was um, published around about that time. Um, the message and mission of his life, in a sense, has been to say, the world is, um, is complex, um, is messy, can often feel out of control, but we need to see it clearly. We need to see it clearly. Um, it is a book full of data, uh, he is a professor of, uh, of international health. He's travelled the world, studied, researched, brought together with his team vast amounts of data. And, and the book works through trying to um, think about what, how the world really is. Can we see it clearly, despite those things and through those things? Can we see it clearly? The, the only way to kind of give you a sense of this, um, the book works through, um, his writing works through a number of questions at the start. Uh, these are to do with um, the world population, income levels, poverty, and all these kind of things, uh, health issues around the world. Um, uh, he has a number of questions. I'm going to put a question up here, um, and uh, uh, it's, it's this one. Uh, this is one of his early questions in the book. There are two billion children in the world today, aged naught to 15 years old. How many will there be in the year 2100, according to the United Nations? 
Um, what is your instinctive answer to that? I wonder if you might just, if you can register your instinctive answer, just turn to somebody nearby um, and, uh, and, and ask them what they thought or what you thought. Uh, Two billion children in the world today, age 0 to 15. How many will there be in the year 2100, according to the United Nations? Okay, so I wonder what your instinctive answer was. Was it similar to your neighbour's instinctive answer? Um, uh, maybe you thought about it a bit more, maybe changed your mind as you've gone along. The answer is C. There will be two billion children in the year. Now, if some of you may be going, yes, I got that right, that's great. Some of you may be going, how? Two billion children at the moment. I know it feels like about a billion of them are out the back at the moment, <laughs> having left, such as the queue to go. Two billion at the moment, how is it? Well, so this is the kind of thing he's saying, can we see it clearly? Can we see the world clearly? This is the reason that he gives, he explains it. The reason that he gives is all to do with uh, the rates um, of birth. This chart is one of his charts. He talks about the fact that in 1800, the average number of children born to uh, an individual woman across the world was somewhere around six. It is, has been falling ever since 1800. It is now around about two. Um, now, for those of you who enjoy data, you can process that and enjoy that later on today. But you see, he's saying, can you see the world clearly? It may look, whatever your idea might be of population and where it's going and so on, is, it's driven by this. So it means in the year 2100, the number of children will be the same. There's all sorts of things that come out of that. You've got all sorts of questions firing in your mind. It's a very interesting book. Now, the complexity of the world, can we see it clearly? Is his message and his mission? I guess that's what he's been trying to do. What we are going to look at uh, this morning, I, it's, Genesis is fascinating in that it seems to hold those things together. The messiness, the complexity of the world, the way in which humans work, and yet says, can we see the world clearly, in this case, as God sees it? Can we see it clearly as God sees it? What I want to talk to us about this morning is that through where we go through this term, God knows what he is doing. God knows what he is doing. He will present us with, uh, let me put this um, picture up. He will present us with uh, a whole series of generations. God knows what he is doing. Uh, and we're going to think of it um, under um, three short headings as we go through. Um, uh, and I'll explain them uh, as we go. They are that God knows what he is doing, uh, firstly, over time and delay. God knows what he is doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. And God knows what he is doing through messy and fragile situations. Those are the uh, three headings. Let me um, um, unpack this a little bit. This here is a family tree. This covers um, those readings that we had. I wonder if you might just glance at them with me. Um, we're going to just briefly touch on um, each of them. So if you were able to come back to Genesis 12, 
Um, that would be very handy. When God calls Abraham, that is the first line of our family tree here. When God calls Abraham, that is the, the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Um, in the promise that he makes to him, when he calls him, he talks to him and says, go to the land I will show you, in verse 1. He talks in verse 2 about becoming a great nation. Um, uh, and then he talks about his name becoming great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And we, you might um, know we often talk about um, uh, the three things that are, are given to Abraham as promises of a land, a people, and a blessing, a, a place that they will be, a people that they will become, a family line, and a blessing they will be to the world. If you glance on, the second layer in our family tree, the second generation, those same things are picked up. So if you glance onto chapter 26, if you skim on a little bit, you'll have noticed as you read probably, the same things come up. Land is mentioned again in verse 3, to you and your descendants, I will give these lands. Um, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, uh, in verse 4. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Land, people, blessing. Um, If you turn on slightly to chapter 28, the third um, layer of our family tree, uh, when Isaac blesses Jacob and sends him on his way, he speaks in that same language. Verse 3, may God Almighty bless you, blessing, make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples, people. Uh, May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. Um, Blessing people land. And then finally, just to complete the circle, uh, chapter 48, if you glance on, uh, this is at the very end, the, the final layer with Jacob's children, when he gathers them all to be blessed and the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and in fact, grandsons as well, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he speaks in those same terms, blessing people land. So in verse 3, uh, he speaks of God Almighty appearing to him. There he blessed me. I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers, make you a community of peoples, um, and I will give you this land. Now, um, why I wanted to show you those three is that same language of land, people, blessing comes at every level of this family tree. Every generation is given the same uh, language, the same words. And yet, and yet, when you stand back and look at Genesis, and when you look at this family tree here, how slow must progress have felt? How slow must progress have felt? Uh, these four um, generations span, uh, there are various dates given or ages given um, in the text uh, at various points. They span roughly 300 years across uh, from top to bottom, roughly. There are long delays, some of which are well known. Uh, so Abraham and Sarah, uh, Abraham is... Uh, 75 when he is called with those first uh, verses um, in chapter 12. Uh, It is 25 years before Sarah is able to have Isaac. 
a long delay of waiting, of uncertainty, of difficulty. Uh, often hidden or not, much more subtle but not quite seen, um, is that similarly Isaac and Rebecca, when Isaac marries Rebecca, it is 20 years before she has the twins, Jacob and Esau. 20 years in Middle Eastern, Near Eastern culture, uh, around, built around family life, 20 years of uncertainty, of patience or difficulty. How slow does progress seem at times? And yet here, and the reason I wanted us to look at those four um, passages, perhaps if I could, I started with some data, and that might be helpful for some of you, but if I could give you the image um, now of, uh, of a, a metronome, uh, I, often used by um, musicians, that keeps a rhythm, keeps a time. The image of a metronome is perhaps a helpful one in thinking about these promises that God gives to each generation, kind of keeping time, keeping a steady rhythm, God knows what he is doing uh, through over time and delay. Now, that may be something that is helpful for us to take into this new term, that actually God knows what he is doing, that it, time doesn't surprise him, that it takes four generations, that it moves slowly, that it isn't always easy, does not surprise him. Second, Uh, that God knows what he is doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. We're going to spend much of this term focused on uh, the panel in the middle, Jacob and his story. Um, And so often, the promises that are made to God seem in jeopardy or put in jeopardy by human decisions, by human actions. And we'll see this kind of mixture of fear and faith I mean, if you know what I mean, um, the, the promises are given to these individuals. They cling on to them by faith at times. They seem to put them in jeopardy by fear at times. Uh, we'll see, uh, um, we'll see uh, mistakes made. We'll see mistakes repeated. Uh, in a, a couple of weeks' time, we'll see Isaac make um, exactly the same mistakes that his father made, those generational mistakes, seeming not to learn. There is, as I've set this out here, and by way of introduction, there is, if you like, a shadow side to the entire story of Genesis as it unfolds. Those individuals who are listed on the right-hand side here um, in grey, when Abraham and Sarah are unable to conceive and they seemingly take matters into their own hands and Sarah encourages Abraham to sleep with Hagar, and Ishmael is born. And there is his story and her story and how that comes out. There is then uh, a division between Jacob and Esau, the twins. There is a division and a rivalry between them. And there are multiple deceptions uh, that happen in the Jacob story. Jacob both deceives others and is deceived himself. Uh, he's involved in uh, deceptions and lies. And you can see the, the, um, the names that are listed with Jacob 
uh, and Leah and Rachel and Zilpah and Bilhah. Those uh, deceptions involve his relationships with those women. And there are their stories. Um, I didn't quite have the ability to make uh, that sort of fade from blue to grey across that, uh, that particular one. But if you imagine, there is a shadow side to what goes on. And God knows what he is doing amidst these mistakes and deceptions. And I guess as we go into this term, why should it be any less for us? Do we not have that same mixture of fear and faith in us as well? Do we not succumb to the same impulses and the same difficulties? Um, one of the privileges um, of being in pastoral ministry is that I guess I would say there are few, uh, if any, families that don't have their complexities and their difficulties, their shadow sides. I wonder, you and I too, what is the shadow side of our stories? God knows what he is doing in and through those. And we'll see that uh, as this term goes on. And then thirdly, God knows what he is doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. Thirdly, God knows what he is doing through messy and fragile situations. Um, and the, the, the story and the family tree that we have, God seems to work very intentionally through messy and fragile situations. So our passage that we read this morning uh, spoke of a number of different things. Um, it was about a chosen line uh, a particular uh, chosen line, a particular in, uh, line of inheritance, if you like, a particular heirs. Uh, it's a chosen line that does not follow an easy and even course. There are women involved, mothers, who are sometimes used and seemingly discarded. There are those who struggle to conceive over long periods of time. The, uh, the chosen one in each case is often far from the best and most upright of individuals. It's not as though uh, God has chosen. Look, to, look through these family lines. They're all perfect families, and he chooses the, the most uh, fitting and able and wonderful of each one. It is about a family, but the family relationships, if we uh, just have a quick look, the family relationships are often complex bitter and divided. We will spend time looking at Jacob. Jacob and Esau, the relationship that he has with his brother, whom he deceives and then leaves for a long stretch of years, overshadows everything that happens in his life. We'll see uh, bitter, complex, divided relationships. The relationship that Jacob has with Leah and Rachel, equally complex and at times uncertain. Uh, it's about a place um, that is often mentioned through in Genesis, a land and a place that they're meant to be, and yet Jacob will spend much of his life in exile from it. And God seems to choose these unusual and strange paths in which he works. And it is about a blessing uh, as uh, is given to Abraham and then to those who follow. It's about a blessing, but it takes place against a backdrop of what often feels like curse and loss. Famine, 
infertility, challenge and difficulty, of family division and of separation. And when you stand back, you see God seems to work very intentionally through messy, fragile situations. And we might ask ourselves uh, why and how that is as we go through the term, but it shouldn't in some ways surprise us. God knows what he is doing. Think, stand back for a moment. Think about the faith we believe and the Lord Jesus whom we have. The Lord who was born into a complex family situation of his own, a situation of possible disgrace and uncertainty, whose life and career is not uh, with the powerful, but is seemingly with the weak and the understated. And salvation, the salvation that God brings about through his chosen one, the Lord Jesus, comes about through indignity, through trial and being deceived and deceived against uh, by those who were his enemies. So in some ways it shouldn't surprise us that this is how God works. He knows what he is doing and in fact he seems to, to work through these situations that are messy and fragile. And if it was okay enough for his son, the Lord Jesus, to live and work in those ways, it means he knows what he's doing with you and I, however fragile and messy our lives might feel. And so there is this steady rhythm of those promises that come through. Uh, the promises that are made are like a, uh, like a metronome, like a kind of regular beat that come through. And when you stand back and look at them, you see the messy complexity into which they are all worked out. So what do I, what do I want to encourage us? You'll, you'll have felt this is very much a, a, an introduction to where we're going to be through this term. What do we take away from this at this point? What I would love us to do is, if you have two possible things, one is, if you have time in the next couple of weeks, read through Genesis 25 to 35. It's the, the story of, of Jacob and uh, his life and those who are associated with him. Uh, put some time in your, it doesn't take too long to read, 10 chapters, how many minutes that is. Uh, take some time to read it through and just see how God works, see what progress he makes through this complex set of characters. And then perhaps reflect on one of these uh, things that we thought of this morning. God knows what he is doing. He knows what he is doing over time and delay. He knows what he is doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. He knows what he is doing through messy and fragile situations. And maybe take one of those into this week. I don't know what this week does hold for you. If it is a new term and a new start, or if it's back to work, or if it's back to family rhythms, take one of those into this week. It may be that starting a new school, starting a new uh, term, a new course, a new job, feels fragile and uncertain. It may be that it feels that it is uh, full of your potential mistakes and failures. Take one of those into this week. God knows what he is doing amid those, and even more than that, often through those. And take it into uh, wherever he is going to have you serve him this week. Why don't we pray together?
Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that as we go into this week, perhaps even this new term, we would raise our eyes to see how you work. Lord, just give us fruitful times as we look at the life of Jacob this coming term. Might we see clearly how you work, that we sense and we know the world is complex, uh, often messy, and sometimes to us feels out of control. But help us to see it clearly as you see it, to know that you know what you are doing. Amen.